but I remember like stopping drinking, like stopping. And then one night someone invited me on like, oh, just have a glass of wine. And I did. And like 10 minutes after I got home, I was already calling some guy that I shouldn't be calling. And I was like, yeah, I can't drink. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Hey, everyone. I am your host, Gabe Howard, and calling into the show today, we have Pam Gaslow. Pam is a New York-born, Miami-based writer, comedian, and artist. And Pam used to have a blog called Depressed Hot Girl, but she took that down after her family threatened to disown her. She's the author of the new book, Don't Bring Your Vibrator to Rehab, a somewhat comedic memoir. Pam, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I am very excited that you are here because I wrote a book entitled it Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations. And the only thing that I could think of before the book came out was my granny's going to be mad at me because it has a swear word in it. But then your book, Don't Bring Your Vibrator to Rehab, makes my title look like super tame. Were you worried about pushback over the name from the people closest to you? Oh, of course. And yeah, (laughs) well, unfortunately, all my grandparents are gone. But yeah, my dad didn't like the title. And I don't think my brother did either. But they're they're over it. And that's the title. So too bad. (laughs) (laughs) there does become a moment right when you're honestly discussing living with addiction and mental illness and and things about our past that we're not so happy with that you just sort of have to say hey look i'm not writing it for you i'm writing it for me but these are difficult moments for people who choose to discuss these topics publicly you mentioned that depressed hot girl your your blog you did take down because of family pressure How did that all work itself out so that you were able to get from taking down my blog because of my family to, hey, look, it's my story. I'm owning it. Get over it. Well, at the time when I had the blog, which was several years ago, there were like other things going on with my family. And then when they found out about the blog, yeah, they weren't happy. So I just stopped updating it. And eventually I took it down because I was like, well, not a girl anymore anyway. So (laughs) getting a little old to call myself a girl. And several years passed and just a few things changed. And I was like, yeah, I'm just writing this book because I'm not getting any younger and I don't really care what they think. I don't bash anybody. And it's actually funny and informative. So if you can really get past the title, it's really not about vibrators anyway. (laughs) So um, (laughs) yeah, I I think it has a good message. It's just the title that's a little crazy. I love the title and I, I love the use of comedy because it it makes the scary more available. I mean, could you imagine a book called I Went Through Hell and It Scarred Me and I'm Traumatized? Like who would find <laughs> hope in that? <laughs> exactly. All right, Pam, I, I have to know, did you bring a vibrator to rehab? Is that where the title came from? <laughs> I love when people ask me that. No, I did not bring a vibrator to rehab. The way I came up with the title is I was researching different treatment centers and they send you information and they all have a list of things that you can and cannot bring. And one of them on the list said you cannot bring teddy bears, which I found odd, first of all, that an adult would bring a teddy bear to rehab, but I thought maybe people had drugs in it or something. I don't know. And I thought, okay, I'm going to call it don't bring your teddy bear to rehab. But then when I continued on the search and another another place on their list of things not to bring, it said sexual devices. So 
So I was like, oh, forget the teddy bear. Like, I'm going to just call it Don't Bring Your Vibrator to Rehab. I know I went with that. And uh, I'm happy I did. I'm happy that you did too. It is absolutely a captivating title and it <laughs> it makes people think, right? I just sincerely, when I first saw it, I, one, I thought, well, why not? <laughs> just did, And also, why can't you bring a teddy bear? Like, forget about the vibrator for a moment. I'm, I'm really confused as to why you can't bring a teddy bear. I just... I'm telling you, I think that people hide drugs in them. And I'm like, well, they could just search the teddy bear too. Like they search humans, but I, I don't really know. I didn't ask. <laughs> I do not have a teddy bear, but on behalf of everybody who has a teddy bear that can't bring it to rehab, I'm with you. I stand with you. I, I will fight for you to get Ted E. Bear or whatever you named your teddy bear. Mine is Ted E. Bear because I was an unoriginal child. Well, that was only one rehab, by the way. Just don't go to that rehab. <laughs> find another one that allows it. Just don't go to that rehab. So other rehabs allow teddy bears. Yes, I think so. But it seems like no rehabs allow vibrators. I only saw that on one rehab as well. So you can do your research. If you want to bring your teddy bear or your vibrator, you can... uh... (laughs) (laughs) The book chronicles your life with addiction. Let's start sort of at the beginning. Not the beginning of the book, at the beginning of your life. What made you realize that you needed help? When I was 26 was when I first got sober. And I think I always knew I needed help. It was never like, I was never doing great drinking and getting high, but it wasn't so bad that I I didn't have massive consequences. So I wasn't really taking any action to stop. And then somebody came into my life who had already lost everything, who it was someone that grew up in the same area that I did. And I really could relate to him way more than I could relate to a therapist telling me what to do. So this is someone that I saw myself in or my potential future self who had lost everything was divorced. No one was talking to him. And he's also super funny and cool. And he, you know, we hung around a lot and he was basically told me, that I was an addict and that I needed help and that I should go to AA. And for some reason I, I listened to him and I did. It sounds like the, the first experience you had with getting any help was, was going to support groups. What was that like for you? My first AA meeting, I remember that, I guess I was scared, but it was small. And I remember, ironically, the woman who shared was talking about being like in an obsessive relationship. And I identified with that and also realized I was kind of hopeless and wasn't going anywhere in life. I wasn't happy to be going to AA, but I stuck with it. And I I did identify and I was like, I I think this is the right path for me because the path I'm on is going nowhere because I was just, I was tired of being really unhappy every time I drank. I go back to the title of your book, Don't Bring Your Vibrator to Rehab. Did you go to rehab? Yes, I went to rehab twice, but I haven't had a drink in almost 26 years. So times that I relapsed, I relapsed on pot. When I first got sober, I stayed sober like seven and a half years, the time I just described when I first went to a meeting. And then I relapsed. So I went to rehab when I was 38. And I stayed sober eight years. And then I went to rehab again when I was 48. That's the stint that I write about in the book that relapsed from what happened at that point. Let's talk about your your time at the rehab facility. What was that like from the moment that you walked in? What were you thinking? What was going through your mind? Um, I was 
absolutely dreading it. I did not want to go, but I knew I had to go. I was completely miserable. Like, I mean, I smoked literally until the second I walked in the door because they didn't make me detox because I, quote, only smoked weed. There is a detox for weed. I mean, for someone who smokes as much as I did. So I really should have been put in a detox. But anyway, I just took full advantage. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to smoke outside the front door of this place. And I remember checking in. My mother took me. And I, when she left and they took my phone away, I was just sitting in a room by myself for like a half hour. And it was probably like the longest half hour of my life. Because every minute that passed, I was getting more sober. You know, like it was kind of like wearing off. And it was absolutely just dreadful. And then the first few days were horrific. And I was just coming down from being high in a place where you don't know anyone. It's a strange environment. Like, I feel it as I'm telling the story. It's literally hell. And even though it was only marijuana to me mentally, it was just just really dark. And I had a panic attack the first night there and I threw up in front of an entire room full of patients and it was embarrassing and really wanted to leave. And I just, I remember just thinking, I'm just leaving, I'm going to leave. And I thought to myself, well, where are you going to go? You're going to go back home and continue getting high for how long? You're 48 years old. What are you going to do? You can't stop. And it was like that moment that I realized that the fear of staying was, or the pain of staying was greater than the fear of leaving. So I realized I was stuck and, you know, it was just pretty shitty. And, but each day it got a little better and I also couldn't really eat anything and my stomach was messed up and it was just sad. I was just very, very like you're, when you check into a treatment center, you're kind of at the lowest place in your life because nobody goes there on a winning streak. It's not a fun experience. (laughs) So it was really, really hard and I didn't want to talk to people, but eventually I did and got easier. Each day got easier. It's better. Yeah. I don't think anybody registers for rehab instead of a cruise or a, a vacation. It's like, Hey, do we want to go on a cruise or do we want to go to rehab? Well, I mean, let's weigh the pros and cons, both all inclusive. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I joked about that because when I was looking at how much they cost, I was making comparisons. I'm like, what can I do with this money? Well, I could go here and I could go there, but I'm still not going to get sober. <laughs> like, yeah, money is, is is a real barrier to many people being able to get help for many things. Unfortunately, the the way that we handle uh, healthcare in this in this country in, in America it, is not always the best. People are making these choices, and in some cases, it's it's not between you know rehab or a vacation. It, it's between needed medical care and food. So I, I know that you've described that, you know, you're fortunate that you were able to get help in the first place, but there is that moment, right? Because it, it's not a fun thing to choose to do. And then you've got this money on top of it. Mm-hmm. What tipped the scale for you? It is kind of sad because I know a lot of people like don't go to therapy because it's too expensive and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, I'm not cheap with certain things and I'm going to be cheap with my mental health. No, I I didn't have a choice because I needed, I was throwing up from marijuana toxicity. You know, I didn't have a choice. I had no other way of getting sober. I needed to be physically removed from my environment and break the cycle and break the habit. It just was something I 100% needed. 
There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me. Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. Hey everyone, my name is Rachel Star Withers and I live with schizophrenia. I'm also the host of Inside Schizophrenia, a podcast that dives deep into all things schizophrenia, featuring personal experiences and experts to help you better understand and navigate schizophrenia. Inside Schizophrenia is a Psych Central and Healthline Media podcast and we're available right now on your favorite podcast player. Check us out. We're back with Pam Gaslow, author of Don't Bring Your Vibrator to Rehab, a somewhat comedic memoir. One of the things that I want to touch on real quick is we're hearing a lot about marijuana being legalized in, in many different states in America. In in other countries, it was never illegal. I'm, I'm thinking of like Amsterdam, where it's been legal my entire life. And there's this contingent of people that are like, oh, well, you, you just smoked marijuana. Why is this a bad thing? Well, first of all, I don't just smoke pot. I smoke pot 24-7 for two years around the clock. I smoke pot before I get out of bed. I got out of bed to smoke pot. You know, I think that, you know, everyone smokes different amounts. And some people, if you're lucky, just use it recreationally and, and use it and have like a fun time or whatever. For someone like me who was just so chronically addicted, it's a different story. You know, it's like have someone who has a drink at dinner or someone who's drinking all day long. It's, it's, that's the difference. And I think if you're an addict, then it becomes unmanageable. And that's how it was for me. And it was destroying my life. I'm always sort of both sad and fascinated at this dismissal that so many people in our society have. It, it sounds like from your description that it was ruining your life. It was it was impeding you from doing the things that you wanted to do. I would say that you would need help if the thing that was impeding you is you were reading Harry Potter 24-7. It's like, what right. mechanism is preventing you from moving forward? Now, I, I know that you've said that you're older now, you're wiser now. What do you think about everything that you went through from this vantage point? Do, do you see how it happened? What would you change? What are your thoughts on everything now? Well, of course, I wish that didn't happen. You know, some people ask me that. They're like, oh, if you can go back. No, of course, I wouldn't do that. Of course, I wouldn't torture myself for two years and make myself go to treatment and lose precious time as a human on this earth. But I see my weak spots and I really do my best to to not put myself in a situation that is potentially dangerous for me. 
even though it was several years ago now, it's, and also writing the book and talking about it on a regular basis keeps it, you know, new for me because it's scary. And I think about where I was mentally and emotionally and physically, and it's scary. It's really scary. And I, I said that the first time I went to treatment, I never wanted to go back to treatment and I hope I never go back. You know, it listen, nothing's guaranteed. It's one day at a time, but it's very, it's in the forefront of my mind that that is just not something that works for me and that I go, I can't have in my life. What was it like opening those wounds from the past in order to write the book? It just seems like picking at a scab, right? It's like, hey, everything is going well and and now you're messing with it. No, I didn't think of it like that. I thought of it as a project and I actually took most of the notes when I was in treatment and while I was going through all that process, it was just kind of piecing it all together and making it a coherent piece of work after. It was like an exciting project for me. And it was it was pretty much very soon after. So it wasn't like, oh my God, so traumatizing. Like I didn't wait a lot of time. It was just fresh. And it was something like I knew I wanted to write the book before I went there. So like I said, I was just taking notes along the way. <laughs> and um, yeah. <laughs> I think many people would hear, oh, you wanted to write a book before you went there. And they would think that was odd. I want to remind the audience that you're a performer, you're a a comedian, a writer. I I think it's very typical to to look at things like, hey, how can this experience be crafted into my art? Am I putting words in your mouth? Is that what it was like for you? Because I, I know that I can just hear my father hearing this and was like, wait a minute, you you were thinking about writing a book when you were in rehab? Who does that? But I would say that's probably very common for for an artist like yourself. First of all, I'm always looking something for something to write about. And because I had been in treatment at one time prior, I kind of knew what went on there. And I took notes when I was at that place too. And you can't make up what goes on there. And the people are so unique and crazy and funny and the experiences are wild. and it's literally like a reality show that's actually real. And as a writer, I can't miss this opportunity. You know, like I was just like, yes, this is, you know, what you have to do. So I knew from, I knew this, this is a really, it was, there was be a lot, a lot of information and a lot of, a lot of funny stories, but yeah, so it was something I I wanted to do. I didn't want to go, but I wanted to write about it. Pam, we, we know that the subtitle of your book is a somewhat comedic memoir, and you've talked about the various funny stories that are that are in the book. What is your favorite funny story that's inside your memoir? Is there a funny story that didn't make it into the book just because it, it, it didn't fit, but you're like, I love this story? Um, no, I, w- I would put everything in that I thought was funny. I just think also, like, as a stoner, the things that happen on a daily basis are funny. I mean, they're just so stupid. And they're just little things. Like I wrote in the book, I went shopping for, I was looking for a raincoat and I came back with a machete. You know, I found my lip gloss inside an open box of Charleston shoes in my cabinet, in my kitchen cabinet. Like I went to get a Charleston shoe and there's a, there's a lip gloss in there, you know, crazy things. These are just stupid, embarrassing things. I mean, just going on dates and just being like a zombie. That's not really funny, actually. But, um, you know, just those kind of dumb things. But the the rehab, the, the people you meet in rehab and the stories that you hear from them and their life stories and 
and the group sessions and the things that people say, and I was in treatment with very young people, and some of it's just hilarious. It's crazy. It, it is crazy. And I, I think that people don't realize it. If you weren't laughing, you'd be crying, right? Yeah. There's, there's so much introspection that goes into it. And if you've got a personality like yours, I, I can imagine that your only choice is to turn it into humor. I love that you are sharing that with the world. When it, when it comes to addiction recovery and people out there who may be listening to this and, and wondering where they are on the spectrum, if they need help, if they're just recreational, if, if they're going too far, what information do you have to provide to them from your lived experience that might help them decide if, if they need help? I think there's a couple of things. And the first one is, is your life unmanageable? That was a thing for me. My life just had become totally unmanageable and I actually did not have a life. That was one thing. And the other thing is, you know, when your whole life is about getting high or getting drunk or finding it and getting it and sneaking it and, you know, all the negative consequences that come with it, or it's just, or you're just mentally, you can't take anymore. That's just one sign. And the other sign, like I was on Dr. Drew's show and he said, um, when you're still doing something that you don't want to be doing, that is a problem. You know, it's bad for you. You don't want to do it and you're continuing to do it. That's a telltale sign. I think that that is incredible advice. Uh, Pam, thank you so much for being here. I know that your book is on Amazon and probably where other fine books are sold, but you have a website where people can grab it. What's that website? It's pamgaslow.com, G-A-S-L-O-W. There's a link on there to uh, the book. Awesome. And I know that you have social media on there as well. Your Instagram is, is wonderful. I highly recommend that everybody follow it. And what's your Instagram handle, Pam? Pam Gaslow. <laughs> Keeping it really simple here, Gabe. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy. I'm a genius. Everything is under you. This, this is somebody, somebody is in marketing listening to this show and like, that woman has branding. <laughs> she is, she is on it. I am. Pam, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You are very welcome, Pam. And thank you to all of our listeners. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations. I'm also an award-winning public speaker who could be available for your next event. My book is on Amazon because everything is, or you can grab a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me by heading over to GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free. Can you do me a favor? Recommend the show to friends or family, whether it's word of mouth, social media, email, text messaging. I would appreciate it. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. 
One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.